This week I have for you some instructions to the priests, the bishops, and by extension the laity on the proper instruction of the faith. And it is done in an almost passing remark in the context of sola fide, the error promoted by Luther, the error of faith alone, one of the five pillars or five solas of the of Luther and his coterie. Um, it, the, if the point of the encyclical is that proper care must be taken to prevent error from being taught by in the faith. It seems remarkable that this needed to be said and is especially obviously needed today because right now we suffer in a time of ambiguity in the church. And in this encyclical, Benedict XIV explicitly calls out ambiguity. So I hope you find this helpful. Minimal Etsy, Papal Encyclical of Benedict XVI on the Error of Sola Fide. Although we have no doubt that all those entrusted with the care of souls, and you above all, venerable brothers, elevated to the office of the apostolate and constituted by God in the prelate dignity, address your first concern to the Christian people nourished in a healthy way with the rudiments of the faith and the pasture of the celestial doctrine. He is happily directed on the path of the precepts of the Lord, behind you who carry the torch high. We cannot, however, refrain from inciting you with the exhortations of our authority and of our paternal love to promote with greater solicitude the so sacrosanct and salutary work of the Christian doctrine, eliminating the obstacles that oppose the health of souls. But since we turn to the people who know the law and exhort the shrewd bishops of the churches, who do not lack either the piety or the resources of the holy writings, we consider it superfluous to reiterate with multiple arguments that it is not enough to reach the heavenly happiness, believing in a confused and indistinct way the mysteries revealed by God and taught by the Catholic Church. This heavenly doctrine transmitted by God and which is received with listening must be received by the voice of a legitimate and faithful teacher in such a way that its basic truths are explained individually and are proposed to the faithful as truths to believe, some by necessity of means and others by necessity of precept. Even if we affirm that one is justified by means of faith, being this principle and foundation of salvation, in order to eventually reach the longed-for future city, it is equally clear that faith alone is not enough. It is necessary to know the way and to keep constantly on it, that is, the precepts of God and the Church, the virtues to cultivate and the vices to avoid with care. Since all this is contained in the first rudiments of the Catholic faith, or as they say, in the Christian doctrine, it is the specific task of the bishops that this is illustrated in all dioceses and in every place in a clear and methodical way. Nor can they, without tacit blame of conscience, neglect it. On the contrary, they must devote all the care and diligence to this extremely necessary work. We do not think that this office is assigned to the bishop in such an exclusive way as to require his continuous presence in the teaching of the Christian doctrine, to personally interrogate the children and illustrate the mysteries of the faith we profess. We know well that the burden of apostolic service heavily affects the commitment of pastoral care. We understood thoroughly, when we first ruled the Church of Ancona and then that of Bologna, 
How the prelate, who wants to fully fulfill his work, is agitated by infinite and different worries, like waves. The bishop will carry out this task, who, and even in times other than that of the pastoral visit, will sometimes be present, where sound doctrine is transmitted to the Christian. We'll question boys and girls about the things heard, and will illustrate the mysteries of our religion with his words. A commitment of the shepherd that will prove greatly useful to the flock entrusted to him, and his example will stimulate others to cultivate the vineyard of the Lord, and with all their strength. This way of dealing with the church was defined almost a law, not only by the ancients, but also by the more recent prelates enrolled in the register of the blessed, such as Charles Borromeo, Francis de Sales, Toribio, and Alessandro Sauli. Some of them, as the writings attest, finding themselves busy and hindered by more serious thank tasks, not being able to carry them out in person, assigned a vicar chosen from among the canons or priests, for the serious duty because, having become responsible for this pastoral ministry, educate adolescents with the basic truth of the faith and the duties of religion. Therefore, in the example of the bishop will be very important and extremely useful for the spiritual growth of souls. If, as we said above, he absolves him in all the parishes, at all times and especially while he travels through the diocese. But as everyone can imagine, not enough forces can help him. Therefore, in order to reach the goal, it is necessary that with the utmost diligence he must ensure that zeal and solicitude do not fail in those whom he has chosen as his vicars in such a laudable and so meritorious effort. First of all, there are two obligations which by the Council of Trent are imposed on those who care for souls. The first involves that on holidays they give the sermon on divine things. The second that they instruct with the rudiments of the faith children and anyone who ignores the divine law. If on the appointed days the parish priests give the proper homily, let him not deafen the ears with persuasive words of human wisdom, but with words suited to the capacity of the listeners, infuse the spirit in their hearts. If they will announce a mystery, especially in the time when the church remembers it, sowing what is foundation for virtue and the rejection of vices, especially in the most serious ones with rage, with the most disgrace in people. If in these same days they will feed the children with the milk of the doctrine like newborn babies, questioning one or the other, dissolving doubts and uncertainties. Finally, with the apostle, they devote themselves to reading, exhortation, and doctrine, so that the believer may become perfect and instructed in every good work. It is also amply demonstrated by experience that the effort of the parish priest alone is not enough, since one cannot teach everyone, or the number wins over the availability of the teacher. However, the bishop, who will dedicate himself with all his heart and all his zeal to the good of the church that has been entrusted to him, will never be deprived of suitable remedies. In fact, he will be able to appeal to those who approach the tonsure, to those who are approaching the dignity of the priesthood by climbing the steps of the minor and major orders. To those who finally work to find a way to grab ecclesiastical benefits, the bishop will remind them, with the authoritative and harsh words, and the words respond to facts, that he will never consent to the tonsure once the due age has been reached, or to the conferment of minor orders, but above all of the major orders. He should therefore distribute all those clerics in the individual parishes of his cities and dioceses, also assigning some to certain churches. He should also make known, guaranteeing the promise that in the conferral of parishes and other benefits, according to the norm of the law, the zeal and diligence committed by the clerics in this work will have weight and importance. In this way, it will be evident for itself that the task of teaching has not been assigned solely to the person in charge of the diocese, but that many must be available to you so that all together contribute to fulfilling his office. 
To all this, it should be added that with the sacred apostolic constitutions, and above all, with the seventh of Leo, our predecessor of happy memory, appropriate provisions have been given so that both the school teachers teaching their own students and the pious women to girls, under the pressing urging of the bishop, feed them and strengthen them with the healthy and pure doctrine, almost vital food. It is well established that the bishop himself can and should strongly recommend to the sacred orders that during the sermon they put into the ears and souls of the parents the importance of, of, of teaching their children the truths of our faith. If they are not up to the task, it will be necessary for the children to be taken to the church where the precepts of the divine law are illustrated. In many places and where it does not exist, the pious and praiseworthy custom of lending a hand to the parish priest has also taken hold. Some aimed at carrying out this task by lay people, both men and women, who, taking care to offer their service for Christian teaching, listen to children and girls who recite the Our Father, the Angelic Salutation, the Apostles' Creed, and all the other prayers from memory. In other places, congregations have been established with the aim of teaching Christian doctrine, whose institution is rightly filled with well-deserved praises by Pius V of Holy Memory, in his constitution which begins ex date, and urges them to spread with every care in all the dioceses. All these realities aimed at the same purpose, if they are carefully valued, will give everyone the conscious certainty that although the number of workers where the harvest is abundant and small, there will be those who will break bread for the children who implore it. It is also known that not only children and those who are more mature age lie in ignorance of divine things, but also men and the elderly themselves who are unaware of the salutary doctrine, because they never learned it, or had it. Learned in ancient times forgetfulness gradually eased in. The provident diligence of the bishops will be able to make up for this evil, too, if their co-operators are determined to use the remedies prepared with care. Take the discourse back to those who are in early childhood. Many ask to be admitted to the Holy Eucharist and confirmation. Few, in truth, do not flaunt this determined will, as if it were an irresistible desire. The bishops should therefore warn the parish priests and order them vigorously not to admit to the sacrament of the Eucharist, not to hand over the so-called confirmation card to anyone who does not know the foundations of the faith and doctrine and the value and strength of the sacrament. In this way, it seems that early childhood can be well catered for. If, on the other hand, we speak of adolescence, since each one receives his own gift from God, it is well known from experience that some set out on the path of ecclesiastical life, others on that of secular life. We have already dealt with the former when we speak of those who wish to be admitted to holy orders. It seems that only one thing can be added. It would be opportune and of great usefulness that to those who present themselves for the examination, the prelate should ask, in the first place, the essence contained in the Christian science. In fact, experience, teacher of truth, has made it clear that some of them, although adorned with an elegant and pure Latin and abundantly educated in the multiplicity of sciences and good connoisseurs of everything related to the orders, when questioned about Christian doctrine, answered in an unsatisfactory and not at all relevant manner. If we then turn our attention to those who spend their lives in the world, it is evident that most of them are directed towards the nuptial sacrament. Truly, they cannot be joined in this sacrament of the parish priest, as is his duty, has discovered, by asking specific questions, that the man and woman ignore what is necessary for salvation. It is difficult for the bishop to leave room for such great and fatal ignorance. Remind shepherds of the souls to their task, and if they do not comply with it, punish their negligence. All men, of all ages and social conditions, usually cleanse the filth of the soul with the sacrament of penance. The bishop will therefore ensure that the priest, who receives confessions, holds a certain and immutable, 
that the sacramental absolution given to those who do not know what is indispensable by necessity of means, that men cannot be reconciled with God with the sacrament, if first shaking the darkness of ignorance, they will not be led to the knowledge of the faith. The confessor should also know that the absolution of those who, through their own fault, do not know what is indispensable for necessity of precepts must be postponed to another time. In this case, the penitent can also be acquitted if he recognizes himself guilty of this insurpassable ignorance. He asks God for forgiveness and sincerely promises the confessor to work hard to learn, with God's help, even what is necessary by necessity of precept. If, therefore, the pastors propose this method of formation of Christian people to themselves, if they think that their advice, efforts, and intentions must be brought back to the proposed method, it is legitimate to hope that the flock, with faith and works, can progress over time to the point of being transformed into God's dwelling in the Holy Spirit. But since it is a matter of supreme importance, and no other has been instituted more f usefully for the glory of God and the salvation of souls, no one should be surprised if so many obstacles are continually interposed. Sometimes small and humble churches are located in the countryside, some close, others very far from the parish church, where, on holidays, the fathers of families with their children go to listen to the priest as he celebrates the sacred mysteries. This means that they are almost never present in their parish, and cannot hear any words about the mysteries of the faith, the precepts, and the sacraments. The bishop must provide for this evil with all the weight of his authority. First of all, with regard to the small churches, close to the parish church, with a precise law, it must prevent Mass from being celebrated there before the parish priest has in turn celebrated, given the sermon, and has provided for the remaining commitments of his office. In this way, the parish church will be frequented by a multitude of faithful who will flock to it. As for the small churches located far from the parish church, it is very difficult, due to the distance of the places, that the par parishioners... Discarding the nearest church can face a long and harsh path, especially during the winter when rivers overflow, to reach the parish church and attend their divine offices here. The bishop decrees, with the addition of serious penalties, that the priests assigned to those churches transmit to the people the fundamental points of the Christian doctrine and illustrate the divine law. However, the parish priest must be admonished so that he does not trust too much in the work of others. Cities also have specific drawbacks. In fact, it often happens that in those certain churches, especially of regulars, festivities are celebrated with a solemn rite and a great crowd of people. For this reason, if in the parish church catechism is held early in the morning or immediately after lunch, no one or very few will be present and will camp as an excuse for the fixed time. If more comfortable hours are not chosen for the population, it is confirmed by the experience that the people will flock to the church where the feast day is solemnized and attracted by the liturgical apparatus, will desert the Christian doctrine not without serious damage to the soul. Since it is not possible to establish a pure and general norm in this regard, we want this task to be left to the diligent institute of the church, which, taking into the account the nature of the place, circumstances, and persons, and having weighed the significance of this set of facts, find a way to compose the celebration of the feast day with Christian doctrine, so that one is not a stumbling block to the other. If the regulars and the exempt orders oppose, and although admonished by the bishop, feels authorized to comp compromise the development of Christian doctrine, we offer to the ordinaries of the places our authority, which embraces the exempt. An apostolic solicitude will not lack other means to avoid that the parish churches are deprived of due consideration. It could be extremely advantageous for the education of Christian people to choose visitors, some of whom, touring the city and others traveling through the diocese, make careful inquiries on everything to allow the bishop, informed about the merits of each pastor, to decree rewards or punishments. 
Following the footsteps of Pope Clement VIII and of our other predecessors, we exhort in the Lord and strongly recommend that in transmitting the Christian doctrine, the, the libretto written by Cardinal Bellarmine on behalf of Clement himself be used, carefully examined in the special congregation appointed for this and approved by Clement himself, it was ordered that it was published with very valid intention that all later would stick to the same and unique method of teaching and learning the Christian doctrine. There is nothing more desirable than this uniformity, nothing more opportune and more useful to prevent errors from sneaking into the multiple variety of catechisms, and in some place it becomes necessary for specific local needs. To use another booklet, it will be necessary to pay great attention that it does not contain or insinuate anything contrary to the Catholic truth. It is also necessary to pay attention that the dogmas of the faith are explained to you in a simple and clear way with the addition of necessary parts that may be omitted and the elimination of the superfluous, a concise and an unambiguous teaching method is usually of greater use for simpler questioning when examining children's progress. This booklet must also contain the acts of faith, hope, and charity, surely composed in a right and competent way. If this is not true, once perfected, they are printed in the correct form. These acts find it more convenient to be divulged rather with content than with abundant words, provided that through them the full force and nature of virtue is revealed. Since for those who profess the Christian religion, the habit and practice of often uttering these acts are extremely necessary, so that their use is not contained within narrow limits and is not restricted by someone to a modest number for each year, the bishop concerned of his own as well as of the salvation of others, he issued provisions so that in the parishes of the city and of the diocese, the rector of souls, immediately after the celebration of the festive mass, kneeling in front of the altar, recite with a clear and intelligible voice the mentioned acts of virtue, trying to, to persuade the people who will have to repeat the words they pronounced. In this way, the faithful, almost without realizing it, will learn them by heart and will get into the habit of attending to this pious practice not only on holidays. These salutary indications of teaching the flock which we have wanted to make known to you, venerable brothers, by means of our apostolic letter, can be recognized by each of you as conforming to our pastoral warnings, already given to the press, when, with paternal love, we surround the Bolognese church, our bride, with care. Moreover, indications derived from the pontifical institutions, recognized as valid by the testimony and example of renowned bishops. Since we know from experience that a very great utility will derive from it, we exhort and incite you with all possible ardor, and we implore you, by the bowels of mercy of our God, to wait with decisive and firm spirit, by virtue of the task entrusted to your pastoral ministry, to the impl implementation of the foregoing, carefully considering that all the effort, commitment, and attention lavished on this purpose will be rewarded by God, giver of all good. We cordially impart the apostolic blessing to you. Given in Rome at St. Mary Major on the 7th of February, 1742, in the second year of our pontificate, Pope Benedict XIV.